Hello and welcome to the Speakerman Speaks Retail podcast. I'm Carol Speakerman. Whether you're a retailer, a brand marketer, a supplier, a solution provider, or wherever you play on this crazy diverse spectrum of retail, I'm here to provide insights that are going to help you navigate retail from now to next. Now we're going to do this by tapping into my latest retail trajectories, which are themes that transcend trend across categories, borders, business models, and touch points. So in every episode, I'm going to present a a trajectory, and then we're going to track it and talk about what it means to you, no matter where you play in retail. Now, this is officially episode one of Speakerman Speaks. So I'm going to provide a little bit of a background about how we're going to attack retail and sort of the premise of the show and what you can expect. But I have to say a lot has changed since this was just in the concept phase. You know, originally, the idea was to create a space to talk about normally crazy, fast-moving, unpredictable retail. But since then, the coronavirus came upon us. You know, it's rocked so many industries and retail probably more than many. And it's just completely upended everything, and it's become the elephant in every room. So we're definitely going to acknowledge that. We have to. But we're not going to stay stuck there because there are going to be stirrings of retail life on the other side of this. Now, things are going to look a lot different, and we're going to talk about some of those differences. But, you know, again, we don't want to just get bogged down in what's happening right now and just uh, paint it as, you know, being cataclysmic. Because there have been all kinds of disruptive events throughout retail history. I was there for a lot of that history. And we've always come out on the other side. So we want to focus on... Uh, Yes, the realities of today, but also where things are going next and what we can do about it to prepare for it. Now, in keeping with that, I also am going to interject a little bit of retail history as we go along because that often gets left out of the conversation. I think it's important and even more interesting to talk about how things have evolved to where they are now uh, than it is to just always be making crazy predictions about where it's going next. Now, I'm asked to make predictions all the time, interestingly enough, you know, by the media and others, and I do it. But I tell my clients all the time, you know, predictions, just getting obsessed with, you know, the next of everything misses the point because it assumes that knowing what's ahead is going to protect you from what's coming. And that's just never the case in retail. And we can see with this corona crisis just how unpredictable it is and just how many predictions that were being made not that long ago were just completely off base and didn't even see this coming. So think of this as being sort of a before, during, and after uh, experience when it comes to talking about retail. And I think that's going to give us a really robust uh, conversation. So that's just a bit of a preamble for this first episode. But I want to kick off by asking a question. Do you think that online marketplaces are just a passive growth play for retailers? And if you're a brand marketer, do you think that they are just a great, easy growth vehicle for you? Well, that brings me to our first trajectory, which is marketplace mayhem. Yes, marketplaces are on fire right now, never more so than during the corona crisis. But there's a lot of mayhem associated with this business model that is starting to brew. Well, it's been brewing for a while, and some of it is accelerating as the corona pandemic takes shape. And so we're going to talk about that today 
And we're also going to talk about how many retailers, traditional retailers, have joined the marketplace party, why they're doing it, and also, again, sort of the perils of that model, not only for retailers, but for those who sell on these marketplaces. Um, There are opportunities, too, and we're obviously going to cover that as well, but mainly how to mitigate some of this mayhem, but we have to call it out before we can do that. So, yes, retailers, traditional retailers, you know, it used to be that Amazon, when you when you heard online marketplace, it was like, oh, yeah, you're talking about Amazon. But traditional retailers have been quietly pushing into the marketplace business over the past few years, and they've been doing it for some really good reasons. Now, first of all, retailers have been throwing piles of money at their digital platforms. Some of them are playing digital catch up. Some of them are just trying to you know, build out their digital platforms out of necessity. Others just see it as a pure opportunity and even as a way to allow them to close some stores and shift their business models. But either way, Amazon has definitely emboldened lots of retailers to try their hand at the marketplace business. But now during the corona crisis, retailers are starting to see their marketplaces as a lifeline. You know, they built up these e-commerce platforms and now they're thinking, "Eh, you know, nobody's shopping stores right now. Everything's going to digital. The next stage growth has to come from creating a marketplace as an extension of that e-commerce platform, inviting third-party sellers on and, you know, hoping that that's going to somehow close the gap. But It's been a very powerful way for retailers to think about monetizing those platforms. And now you see that not only have they built up the marketplaces, but they're starting to think about loosening their criteria and getting more sellers on them. Now, a recent example of that is a beauty retailer out of Europe called Douglas. They're one of the, the biggest players out there. You may not have heard of them here in the U.S., But Douglas is the largest premium beauty retailer in over 26 countries. But what did they just do? They announced that they're going to open up their online marketplace to more retailers, even as they suspend the operation for most of their 2,400 stores in Europe. But Douglas is also saying, you know what? We're going to expand into more categories. We're not going to just sell you know, beauty products, we're going to go into jewelry and accessories and home decor and lifestyle items. So the first reason why these marketplaces are so compelling is, yes, retailers can basically collect rent on those digital platforms that they've been throwing money at for years. That's pretty sweet. But they can also diversify into all kinds of new categories practically overnight through those third-party sellers. Now, this is important Uh, to retailers because, you know, as this brick and mortar meltdown is happening, the more categories they sell, the more business that they can do. But it's been a lifeline for some of these category killers out there. Now, why would they need a lifeline? Well, you don't have to look any further than Borders and Blockbuster and Payless and Toys R Us. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg for the number of category killer retailers that have gone out of business in the last few years. So what happened is, you know, before category killing was a really great way to narrow your focus and, you know, double down on a category and sort of be the go-to destination for it. But Walmart started dealing the first blow to these types of retailers. I remember when Walmart was 
in the throes of their category expansion. And they were saying, hmm, I think we're going to go into, you know, the premium bicycle business today. And everybody would just start biting their nails that were, you know, operating uh, big retailers or even, you know, some of these specialty retailers. Oh, gosh, you know, Walmart's attacking our category. Now it's going to be a race to the bottom on price. And that's just the end of it. And unfortunately for many, that was actually the case. But then came Amazon. So Amazon wasn't just ticking off these categories one by one and, you know, going into all these different categories. They were doing it in some cases without even caring if they were profitable. So this has been really harsh. And this one-two punch has been very difficult for some of these category killers. But marketplaces to the rescue. You know, that's why you see some of these category-focused retailers like Staples opening up online marketplaces. It's a way to expand outside of those core categories and sort of hedge their bet. Another benefit, though, is it, it comes to some of these, uh, some of the digitally native e-commerce platforms actually are getting a lot of benefit by changing their model a little bit and going into the marketplace business. You look at Overstock.com, for example. Now, not only is Overstock.com no longer just in the Overstock business, they've started selling new products, but they've also opened up their online marketplace and they're saying, hey, come on, sell on Overstock.com and join our partner program, you know, so that they can join the, the marketplace monetization party, if you will. So for Overstock, it's allowing them to shift their business model in order to expand, you know, beyond it. Marketplaces also are a way for retailers to court new brands and to bring them onto their platforms. And these may be brands that not everybody else has. So it's a differentiation play. Target is a really good example of this. Their Target Plus program is invitation only, and their focus is on these lesser known brands, emerging brands, uh, particularly those that are minority owned, women owned, and, uh, you know, that really sort of fulfill that diversity proposition that Target is known for as well. And finally, probably one of the biggest benefits is it is almost like a passive income play for retailers because they can get all these benefits we just talked about without carrying additional inventory, without managing that inventory, and without overtaxing their supply chains. So these are some pretty big incentives. But marketplaces are not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. There is some mayhem brewing, and I want to talk about that and what it means to all of the different stakeholders who participate in these marketplaces. But let's talk about the mayhem that was already there, you know, before the coronavirus came and changed everything. Because so many of these dynamics are still at work and they're worth paying attention to. There have just been others that have been piled on, which we're also going to talk about. First of all, retailers, some of them, through this drastic expansion, are right on the precipice of not standing for anything. Because you think about it. If everybody has a marketplace, everybody's selling everything, everybody's in every single category out there, then where's the differentiation? There's no point of view. And when there's no point of view, then it becomes a race to the bottom on price. So I don't think we're there yet, but I think, again, some retailers are on the precipice of making that happen, and we're in danger of losing differentiation because of this marketplace mayhem. Also, Marketplaces mean handing off control, and that can cause problems for both retailers and suppliers. Retailers, you've seen the stories, they get dinged 
when their third party sellers, you know, don't execute, when they there's all kinds of shenanigans like price gouging, political offenses, you know, packaging problems, delivery issues. All of that tends to reflect on the retailer because it's the retailer's name, you know, right at the top of the page. But the same holds true in the reverse. Brand marketers can can uh, harm a retailer's reputation, but retailers can also harm brands' reputations. You know, brands tell me that when retailers are playing their own pricing games, when they're uh, deprioritizing some of their the brands that are on the marketplace, when they don't deliver, you know, that can really mess things up and reflect poorly on the brands. So it's a two-way street, but loss of control is the big takeaway there. But when you look at this diversity and the potential for retailers to just keep crowbarring more brands and more categories into their marketplaces, including their own brands, hello, which we're going to talk about in a future episode, then it's easy for brand marketers to get lost in the shuffle. These these brand marketers, they don't have control over how endless these e-commerce aisles become. So retailers can just keep expanding and expanding and expanding, and brand marketers become smaller and smaller and smaller in relation to all these other sellers. But adding insult to injury, some of these brands don't even have control of their destinies on these marketplaces, even when they make very definitive partnership decisions. Look at Nike. Nike recently made a decision to stop their direct business with Amazon. So the, the thinking at Nike was essentially, you know, hey, we've got our own platform. We would rather empower our platform and double down on our direct-to-consumer business through our own means than to continue to empower Amazon's platform. Well, the funny thing is, if you go to Amazon right now and search for Nike products, even despite that decision, you're not going to have any trouble finding them because third-party sellers. So that's more mayhem for brand marketers. You, even when you think that you've extricated yourself from a relationship, you can't even control the presence of your brands on those marketplaces. So something to think about. But let's shift to some of the new factors that are piling on the mayhem during this corona collapse. Now, Amazon. Amazon, at first, it was like, hey, they're really winning the game right now, you know, during the crisis. You know, they've been on a uh, hiring spree. Orders are surging but they've also had trouble fulfilling those orders. And at the same time, they've shifted their emphasis way over to just getting those essentials in stock and managing those orders, and they are deprioritizing some other categories. So of course, that's creating havoc for the the folks who sell those categories, and it's been very difficult for Amazon to get their sea legs during this unanticipated crisis. So the It's going to be interesting to see, you know, are consumers going to forgive Amazon after this, even after they made a move that technically was very customer friendly. Uh, But there have been a lot of missteps and a lot of disappointment. And ironically, of course, it was Amazon that set those high standards and expectations to begin with. When you look at marketplaces, though, going back to that category choice, discretionary categories like home, apparel, and jewelry, I got to say, these are going to experience some pain during the corona uh, pandemic because not only are they in some cases being deprioritized, but consumers are hunkering down. They're working from home. They're not necessarily chasing the latest fashion trend and they're, you know, 
pinching pennies and just, you know, hunkering down. So that's going to cause some pain in lots of categories that are not essentials categories. And the problem too is retailers are realizing, despite all the talk about seamless retail and frictionless retail, that a lot of those categories are not connected online. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. You know, they're operating their grocery businesses very separately from these other higher margin discretionary categories. So the thinking, you know, in terms of in terms of grocery business, the reason that so many retailers from dollar stores to drug stores have been going into the food business is because it drives more frequent tra- trips to the store. Well, that's paid off for a lot of retailers where they've they see more frequent traffic and as a result of that, you know, while that consumer is coming in and grabbing that carton of milk, finally they'll look at that sweater and throw it in the cart too. So it's been a really great strategy in brick and mortar. But when consumers go online and they see grocery and they fill their cart with grocery, they're not thinking necessarily of picking up even some sweatpants. And those two worlds are not always connected on retailers' online marketplaces. So this is something that retailers have told me they're struggling with. They They didn't anticipate it being such a problem, but as they have surges with these essential categories, building pathways to those other discretionary categories is a real, uh, let's just call it an opportunity. So that brings us to our takeaways. Our takeaways in light of all of the mayhem that's happening for all of these different stakeholders. So let's talk about each of the stakeholders and what it means to you. For suppliers, For suppliers of all stripes, the bottom line is that if you're selling on others' marketplaces, you don't have control, pure and simple. You don't control the platform. They control the platform. They can promote your brands, but they can also promote their own brands or somebody else's. They can prioritize some categories and then deprioritize them tomorrow, and they're not going to ask you what you think about it. But this doesn't mean, I'm not saying that that means you don't sell on online marketplaces because they are a great business, they're fast growing, and they're becoming more accessible as retailers, you know, are more bent on having uh, more participants on their marketplaces as they want to grow them. But you do want to be more discriminating and you want to look at ways that you're not going to keep all your eggs in that digital marketplace basket. Look at diversification. Always think about diversification for your distribution. In fact, I've been saying as a larger principle that retail's growth vehicle of the future is going to be diversification. That means category diversification, which we've talked about, and also business model diversification, you know, solutions and services and things like that. It's definitely not going to be all about, you know, building more stores. And that's certainly going to be even more true on the other side of the pandemic. So diversification, diversification, diversification. True for retailers, but also true for you suppliers. Suppliers also need to know that even though retailers right now are positioning their marketplaces almost like a charitable act, they're saying, oh, you know, we want to help out these small brands and we want to help other retailers even stay afloat during the corona crisis. You know, come on over to our platforms and we'll help you weather the storm. Now, I don't mean to make light of that because I think it's true to some degree, but also you have to know that those benefits are mutual. They need you as much as you need them. And they are being less selective about 
the partners that they allow and how many they allow on their platforms because they want to explode them right now. So that can be a good thing. It gives you easier entree you know, into these marketplace relationships, but also it means that you're going to be competing with many other brands on those marketplaces. So something to parse out. Now on the plus side, these marketplaces are a great way to enter new markets, particularly internationally. You know, in some of these international markets, it's really prohibitive to open stores and it's a, a very easy play to jump on some of these highly developed online marketplaces in in uh, international markets in order to jumpstart your business there. In Latin America, very difficult to open stores there, but there's Mercado Libre, you know, a very big player there that's taking full advantage of that dynamic. In China, where shopping is much more digital friendly, so many more consumers are comfortable shopping online. In fact, that's their primary vehicle for shopping. You know, you've got players like Alibaba there that have a 60% market share. And at the same time, they provide all kinds of support for brands, you know, from marketing to content and so on. And these days, a lot of these international players are courting U.S. brands and U.S. consumers at the same time. Uh, Maybe not as aggressively in the past, but definitely now. Alibaba, going back to them, they've just opened up their marketplace to really courting small and medium-sized U.S. sellers. Rakuten, otherwise known as Japan's Amazon, they have, maybe you hadn't heard about them before, but you probably have now because they've been running all kinds of ads in the U.S., not just to attract consumers, but yes, to attract more brands and more sellers onto the Rakuten platform. Now, Rakuten is a good example of a marketplace that doesn't sell their own brands, at least not yet. And they they have, up to this point, been much more discriminating about how many brands and how many players they allow on their marketplace. But all of this is to, just to say that everybody does it differently. They all have different perspectives, different vetting criteria, and you know, different amounts of volume that they blow through on their platforms. And it's important to parse all of that out and not just think, hey, we want to be on every marketplace out there. Look at which ones make the most sense for your business and your diversification goals. Now, I mentioned content, and I want to say a word about that now. Content is a major driver for marketplace success. Without content, you know, reviews, descriptions, videos, how-tos, those a lot of those products just stay parked. Now, retailers know this, and that's why they're creating entire divisions within their companies that do nothing but deal with content. But what retailers tell me is that even some of these big brand marketers out there are not providing the content support that retailers are craving. So if you are selling to retailers, look at your content universe. Look at all of the content that you have at your disposal. Look at what you've learned and content best practices that have worked for your particular categories and products and start to integrate those into your conversations with retailers because they tell me they want that. They want you to be proactive. They don't want to have to take it into their own hands if they don't have to. Now for retailers, let's talk about some of the mayhem and that needs to be mitigated for retailers. First of all, those that are kicking it old school, you know, that are... Uh, 
you know, stubbornly resisting self-checkout or delivery or pickup, you know, these types of capabilities or some of them, you can plug into third parties to make these happen. You don't have to grow it all yourself. But one thing that is no longer an option is to stubbornly insist that consumers just click into your chosen business model, that you just eliminate choices and consumers are going to do whatever works for you. That's just not the case, particularly as more retailers during this pandemic expand all of these options. So if they can't find it on your platform, in your stores, if they don't have these choices, they're going to get them someplace else. And this is particularly true and, and, and important to troubleshoot on, not just temporarily, but on the other side of it, because consumer behavior is changing because of the corona crisis. Now, there is going to be a swing back to some of those old behaviors, but the ingrained changes in consumer behavior are going to be much more profound on the other side of the pandemic. So retailers need to prepare for this and they need to be prepared to keep it going. The big takeaway is, and this, is, this was true before and it's more true now, it's all about choice. Choice and convenience are linked. They're practically synonymous to consumers. But what's happened is now convenience is no longer just, hey, convenience, a nice to have. It's shifted into being about safety. So different consumers look at safety differently. Different markets are looking at it differently. You know, they're tolerating certain types of consumer behaviors during the pandemic and they're shutting others down. So it is about choice and options and knowing that those options are no longer a nice to have consumers see them as being linked to their very personal safety. One other big opportunity that, that I'm seeing uh, for retailers is to make sure that you're clearly communicating expectations. Not your expectations, but what consumers can expect from you and how that's changed. You know, you've got the Amazons of the world that have raised expectations for quick delivery and, you know, fulfillment and, you know, never being out of stock. And all of a sudden, the apple cart is upset. Retailers that were delivering are not delivering. Things that were in stock are out of stock. Things are moving out, you know, unexpectedly. But what the, the big problem is, it's not being clearly communicated. So now that all of this activity is moving online, it's so important to clearly communicate what consumers can expect when they're trying to order products from you. I'm not seeing that clear communication. There's just a lot of disappointment and there may not be forgiveness when it's all over. Again, particularly since the standard has already been set and retailers have hit such a high bar until all of this started to happen. But I don't wanna leave out you solution providers. You know, solution and service providers in retail are one of the fastest growing segments. And there's a real opportunity for you during this crisis and afterward mainly because so many of you guys do business with both retailers and brand marketers. So you're able to mitigate some of this mayhem for both of those stakeholders on both sides of the table. So look at some of the, the mayhem we've talked about, what retailers are experiencing, what they're struggling with, what they're scrambling to accomplish. And know too, the great news for you guys is that retailers have never been more open to outside partnerships. They no longer think they can do everything themselves. And they don't even want to because resources are limited. So how are you going to manage that mitigate, mitigate and manage some of that mayhem for retailers? 
And of course, do the same thing for brand marketers because they're reeling right now. You know, so many of them are not in control of their own destiny, as we've talked about. And on top of it, you know, a lot of their distribution is starting to dry up and they want answers. They want to know how to make the most of their business and how to sell product and press through and get to the other side. So solution providers, big, big opportunity to show what you've got and help out all these different stakeholders. So that's our show for today. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope you'll continue to listen in in the future because I've got some really exciting trajectories planned for you. In the meantime, if you have any questions or even just stories to share, particularly during this uh, very difficult time in retail, uh, feel free to reach out to me directly at carol at speakermanretail.com. I'd love to hear how you're weathering the storm and also just any ideas for future shows and comments. Also, uh, check out speakermanretail.com for more insights, to uh, subscribe to my updates, and also get the latest on upcoming events and happenings. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.